We'll be in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 as we continue through our series in Philippians. Next week starts the Christmas music. I've been waiting 12 months for that. Um, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I like, I like Christmas. I just like Thanksgiving too. So. Um, but uh, thank you all for being here today. Philippians chapter 2, a great passage here in Scripture. Let's start in verse number 1. The Bible says, if there, be for, uh, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in, form, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Uh, verse number 5 again says, But, uh, excuse me, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. A mind like Christ is what I want us to focus on today. We're going to actually look at three ifs this morning uh, and uh, with the ultimate goal of, of leaving here with a mind like Christ. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we look at this uh, passage and these verses. And Lord, I do pray that I would present them clearly and correctly and God, I pray as we look through this letter to this church in Philippi, that God, it will encourage and challenge us to be more like you. And I do pray that today as we look at different things from these passages, Lord, I pray that we will leave closer to having a mind like you. So help us today. Speak to our hearts, I do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see here this verse, and again, we see uh, some familiar verses. If you've been in church much at all, you've heard this verse number five before, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But when again, when we look at the verses in context, when we look at the entire passage together, he's referring to, uh, or actually letting them know what is to come here in verses five through 11, but he's answering to the first four verses of this verse, of uh, this passage, excuse me, uh, and saying, here's how you should behave. Here's how you should think. Here's how you should respond. So three ifs this morning I'd like us to see. Number one, I'd like us to see if, then. Uh, in the Bible, there are multiple passages where the Bible teaches us, if this is the case, then do this. And so if, then. And we see this in the first two verses. Let's look at the ifs first, and then we'll look at the thens. If, uh, it says in verse number one, there be any consolation in Christ. 
meaning comfort through the gospel and through God. If you received consolation in Christ. Hebrews 6.18 tells us that we can have strong consolation in the fact that God is unchangeable and that He cannot lie. And so if you've ever received consolation in Christ, two of the things that, that bring us great consolation in Christ is the fact that He's, uh, as the verse says in Hebrews, unmutable, unchangeable, uh, and He cannot lie. So that means that everything that God says is true. That can bring great comfort to us because God says that He loves us. He can't lie. It's true. Maybe you've had a relationship in your life and you've questioned, do they actually love me? They say they love me, but do they actually love me? God can't lie. And He says He loves you. God talks about forgiveness. He's speaking to the Christians in 1 John when He says, if you confess um, your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. God can't lie. And the Bible teaches us all these different things that God says and to know God doesn't lie should bring some consolation. And 2 Thessalonians 2.16 says, Christ hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation. Have you been comforted by the gospel and by God? If you have, we'll get to the then in just a second. It also says, if any comfort of love. Not only the love of God, I think also the love of God's people, but focus mainly on the love of God here. Have you ever been comforted by the love of God? Has there ever been a time in your life where you felt comfort, peace, uh, help from the love of God? Then it goes on to say, if, not only consolation in Christ or comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit. Uh, Communion or fellowship with God. Have you ever had fellowship with God? Oftentimes it happens in a quiet, alone place. Maybe when you're scared. Maybe when you're worried and you begin to talk to God. Fellowship. Fellowship with Him. And the fourth if in this verse says bowels and mercy. We don't really use the bowels term like this anymore, but uh, benefits of God's compassion. Have you ever been a beneficiary of God's compassion? Have you ever received benefits of God's compassion? Compassion and love are similar. Uh, I've heard the word compassion defined as love in action, um, love being acted out. We talked this morning in Sunday school about Christ having compassion on the multitude. It's not just love for, but it's doing something about that love. Have you ever had the benefits of God's love? And so here in the church to Philippi, the letter's being written, but remember, it's being inspired by God. God is giving Paul the words, and, and it's given to us through the inspiration of God. So these are God's words, and he says, if these things, if you've had consolation in Christ, if you've had comfort of love, if you've had fellowship of the Spirit, if you've had uh, benefits of God's compassion, bowels, and mercy, then, 
He says in verse number two, fulfill you my joy. That's not the important part. The important part is that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, being of one mind. If you've been, had the consolation of Christ, then be like-minded. If you've had the comfort of love, then be of the same love. If you've had uh, fellowship of the Spirit, then be of one accord. If you've had bowels and mercies, benefits of God's compassion, then be of one mind. Remember, it's to the church. Well, hey, we're a church. How about that? Uh, Surprising on a Sunday morning, but here we are. If you've ever had these things, then he says, together as a church, be like-minded. Take the things that God has given you and blessed you with and now turn that into a group effort. Be of the same love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. But be of the same love. God's love, now giving it to other people. Be of one accord, working together to a degree unbreakable. And then be of one mind, singular focus, working for the same goals. You see, if God gives and God blesses and God rewards and God comforts, then do these things. You know what's amazing is God has done all these things. God has given consolation in Christ. God has given comfort and love. God has given fellowship of the Spirit. God has given benefits of His compassion. So now we must be like-minded, of the same love, of one accord, of one mind. The gospel ought to soften the spirit of a Christian. Meaning that because of God's love, because of God's salvation, because of God's sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and for your sins, and because I have accepted the gift of God, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, It should make me softer towards other people. Not so mean. Not so judgmental. Not so harsh. The fact that God loved me so much that He sent His Son Jesus, His only begotten Son, to die, to suffer. Not just to die, but to be beaten, bruised, nailed to a cross. And the fact that He rose again from the dead. Why do I get so harsh? That should make me love people better. But yet here we sit as Christians oftentimes pious and judgmental and and harsh towards other people. Those filthy, rotten sinners. (laughs) What did Jesus do when they were filthy, rotten sinners? He died on the cross for them. And yet I, for some reason, feel like I'm allowed to stand around and judge other people instead of loving them. Now, we've talked about this a lot in our church. But what does that mean? It doesn't mean that I accept what they do if it's wrong, if it's ungodly. I don't go, oh, it's okay as long as you're happy. That's not godly love. Godly love is speaking the truth in love. It is showing them, hey, God says this is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. It's going to cause you hurt. The Bible teaches us that sin leads to destruction. It may not be immediate. You may not recognize it the moment you sin, but I promise it's coming. And so if I love that person the way God loved me, I don't go and yell and scream in their face. 
But I do go to them and say, what you're doing is wrong. Here's how you can get right. God loves you the same way He loves me. Here's what God did for me and here's what God did for you. But sadly, too many modern day Christians are too busy acting like the Pharisees in Scripture telling everybody, I'm right, you're wrong. And the gospel hasn't softened us. In some cases, it seems to have hardened us. And we're responding to people, not in a Christ-like spirit, but in a Pharisaical, religious piety kind of way. And that's not the way God intended for it to be done. So if God's comforted you, if God's uh, fellowshiped with you, if God's given you compassion, you should turn around and do the same thing. Be like-minded, same love, one accord, one of mine. And we'll look at that in just a moment when we look at Christ. We are, uh, we are, we all are the uh, uh, the same in God's eyes. He gives us that consolation. He gives us that comfort. And so we as a church then should treat other people the same way God treats us. If, then. Number two, if not. If not. Look in verse number three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. The reasons that we will not be like-minded of the same love of one accord and of one mind is because of strife and vainglory. We don't use these words a lot anymore. But strife, anything in contradiction or opposition, let nothing be done with strife or through strife, in contradiction or opposition. Vainglory, empty glory. Pride typically is the reason for this. My way, I know better, listen to me. If you're not going to do it the way I want to do it, then why are we doing it at all? It's opposing, it's opposition, it's against, contradictory. It's not of the same mind, of like-mindedness, of one accord. It's opposite of that completely. Vainglory, empty glory, or literally self-conceit. I'm doing it only for me. And it's interesting that God says, when I do it only for me, it's vain. Glory, empty, literally the word vain means empty, empty glory. There's no glory in it. You might think you're getting glory, but you're not. It's self-conceit, it's prideful. And, and he says here to this church, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. He goes right back to verse 2, right? Like-minded, same love, one accord, one mind. And in verse 3, it says, Of lowliness of mind, each esteem other better than themselves. And I love the words that are used in Scripture, and I, I, every single word is so important. But he says there in verse 3, each. It's not the church as a combined whole, although it is. It's each, every person in the church. Let every person have a lowliness of mind, humility, and esteem others better than themselves. It's not looking to myself, it's looking to them. Sometimes we come across a conflict within the church and, and somebody has to go, it's not about me. I've seen that in our church. I've seen people who give way to others' ideas other than their own 
instead of causing conflict and controversy. The goal is that we all do that. That we all seek to work together to have that like-mindedness, same love, one accord and one mind. But I'm so thankful for what I see in our church with people who are saying, I don't want things to be done through strife. And it's not about me. Instead of even having the conversation or doing what sometimes we as spouses do, fine, you're right, I'm wrong. Uh, it's just, a, okay. And I'll walk away. You see, it is giving away to self, esteeming others better than myself. It's truly loving people. It's understanding that it's so much bigger than me. And it literally has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with God. So if it's not hurting God and the cause of Christ, then okay, fine. Let's do it. And that's what it's supposed to be here. Take interest in other people. In verse 4 where it says, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Love your neighbor. But you can't love someone biblically if you're being selfish. If I'm only helping people so that I get a benefit, that's not helping people. A lot of people will say, if I help this person, then they'll owe me one. If I do this, then this person will know it and they'll thank me some way, shape, or form. Um, if I don't help this person, or if I do help this person, it's not going to help me at all. Why would I do that? That's the wrong mindset to have. It is truly loving your neighbor biblically. It is truly giving up of self and thinking what's best for them. How can I help them? And you remember, this is a letter to a church. And so if... God does these things, then I should do these things. And if not, it's because of strife and vainglory. It's because of pride. It's because I'm looking on myself instead of every other person. It's because I'm not being low in mind, humble, and full of self-conceit and myself. And when a church does not have one mind, of one accord, like-minded, one love. It's because of strife and vainglory. And sadly, if there's one thing that we have not gotten better at over the thousands of years since Scripture was written, is we still have religious piousness in churches where we think it's all about me. I'm telling you, look at the New Testament. And look at the Gospels and Christ's life. And look at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Sadly, they're all over the place still today. We've got to let go of that nonsense. And we've got to strive to be what God wants us to be. Number three, boy, we're rolling along this morning. We might be eating in no time if the ham's cooked. Um, you know me. We'll take a long time on this one. Uh, if... Christ. Number one's if then. Number two, if not. Number three, if Christ. Jesus is our example in everything. You remember Christ came to this earth. He was born 
of a virgin. We'll talk about that next month. Uh, born of a virgin. He was raised in a home. He was obedient to his parents. He was kind to his siblings. He was trained by his father. And then he went out on his own as an adult and began to do his ministry work. And there he brought in people with him, the, the, the disciples, and he trained and he taught and he went around and, and preached and did miracles and all these different things. But the Bible tells us that Christ experienced the things that we experience. Temptation. There is no temptation taken you such as is common to man. And Jesus experienced the temptations that we, that we suffer. Now, that he, was he tempted by his cell phone? No. But he was tempted by the same things that we are tempted by on our cell phones. Was he tempted by social media? No. But he was tempted by uh, ridiculous opinions and wasting of time. Was he uh, tempted by uh, yelling at bad drivers? No. But he was tempted by crowds of people cutting him off and being rude to him. He was tempted in the same ways that we are tempted, and he overcame all those temptations. You see, and because of that, even if that didn't happen, it still shouldn't matter, but because of that, he is our ultimate example. Everything that Christ did on, this, on, his, on his life, in his life, is something we can follow and walk. I had a friend post a question on, uh, speaking of social media, this week, and, uh, and she said, I don't know when to speak up and when to be quiet, when to turn the other cheek. I have all these things that I want to say, and I don't know when I'm supposed to say them or how to say them and, and when it's right to say them. And your super spiritual pastor said, um, said, look at Christ's life. Look at the things he spoke out against and the things he was quiet about. Start there and and then maybe that'll give you an idea. When should I speak up? And when should I pardon my language? Shut up. Because the world tells us, share your opinions. Tell the world. But Christ went to the cross as a sheep that was dumb and led to the slaughter. Silent. If we'll just take a little bit of time to read through the life of Christ and see, boy, there's a lot of times where he could have spoken up, but he didn't. Why? Because he was there for a purpose. Listen, we're here for a purpose. We're here to bring people to Christ. If my speaking out is not going to bring people to Christ, then why am I doing it? We sometimes throw away any possibility to witness to coworkers or some relatives or some neighbors because we're so busy speaking out when we should just be quiet. And here the Bible says, if then, don't be like this. And then he throws it out there for us. Here's your example. If Christ. Look what it says here about Christ. In verse number 6, it says, Who, being in form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why was it that Jesus Christ, who is God, didn't think it was wrong to be equal with God? I just said it. He is God. 
There are a lot of people in this, in this world, both past, present, and future, that, that stand up there and say, I am like God. We see about it in uh, Lucifer in the Old Testament. Lucifer in the Old Testament, the reason why he got the boot, is he says, I'm like God. I can do all these things. But he wasn't God. Therefore, it was wrong for him to think that he was. We see sin and temptation oftentimes basically makes us, puts ourselves in the place of God. That's not the way we're thinking when we do it, but that's what it is. It's putting ourselves above things, above God Himself and His, His desires for our lives. But God, Jesus Christ, who is God, came to earth, took on human flesh, and He thought it not robber to be equal to God because He was God. Now, obviously, we're not God, so... Not a whole lot that we can do about that other than trust Christ. Then in verse number 7, it says, But made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him this form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Here's where the example comes in. Even though he was God, he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon him the form of a servant. Not only did he put on flesh, and if you have flesh, which you do, <laughs> uh, you understand there's some difficulties with that. Do you know Christ in heaven never itched? Then he put on flesh. Can you imagine being God and itching? <laughs> I know it's a little thing. I hate itching. We're in the winter months, skin dries out. It's like, oh man, itching. Dandruff. Uh, I don't have any, don't worry. Uh, but things that flesh causes, pain. We think about the pain of the cross and it was painful. But in heaven, Christ never stubbed his toe. I would assume his dad being a carpenter, there are probably tools laying around and tables and different things. I'm sure he stubbed his toe. That's humility. Christ put on flesh, but not only flesh, he put on flesh of a, of a humble person, of, of no reputation, not famous, not rich, not the cushiest life, but a carpenter's family. And he took on the form of a servant. Which is interesting because the Bible teaches us over and over again, be a servant. So what did Christ do? He was a servant. If Christ was a servant, a man of no reputation, then I should be too. Yet I spend most of my life wanting people to serve me. I want to be the one who people come up to and help. I want to be the one who people give. I want to be the one who people praise. But the Bible says I'm supposed to be a servant like Christ. If Christ was a servant, I should be a servant. I should be the one helping, giving, praising. 
If Christ in verse number 8 says, Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ humbled himself for the purpose of obedience. If Christ was obedient, I should be obedient. It's interesting here uh, that Christ not only uh, humbled himself to become a man, but he humbled himself to death. He became so humble that he was willing to obey. That's, that's what obedience is. It's humility. If I'm a child and I'm not humble, I'm not going to obey my parents. If I'm a child and I'm not humble, I'm not going to obey other adults. You're not my mom. Which is always a funny statement because that person doesn't obey their mom either. But, but uh, you know, we're not going to obey without humility. You know, it's interesting, uh, the Bible says that uh, a wife uh, should be subject to her husband. That takes humility. God created humans equal in God's eyes. God does not look lower on a woman than He does a man. Or a child as He does an adult. Or an employee as He does an employer. Or a politician as He does... Uh, 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 someone in, in that politician's region. They're all equal, but God places roles in our lives. And it takes humility for a wife to be subject to her husband. And it takes humility for a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church in the role that God placed the husband. It takes humility for a child to obey their parents in the Lord. It takes humility for us to be subject to the higher powers. It, it takes humility to obey, and Christ humbled Himself, and He became obedient unto death. And not just dying, but to the death of the cross. If Christ was humble enough to obey, which meant dying on a cross, which was a cruel, cruel death, one that he didn't deserve, I should be humble enough to obey God in the areas that he's told me to. Who was Christ obeying? He was obeying, obeying God the Father. If Christ was humble and obedient, then I should be humble and obedient. In verse number 9, it says uh, that he has a name above all names. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him, giving him a name uh, which is above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Again, the words that God gives us are important. He says there in verse 10, if I can read it again, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. Every knee at the name of Jesus shall bow. Again, we talked about it in Sunday school this morning. Christ came to earth the first time. Uh, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to, uh, to show love and forgiveness, salvation. When Christ returns, it will be for judgment. He'll take the Christians home and then He will judge the earth, the wickedness in the earth. And at the name of Jesus, every knee, the ones in heaven, the ones on the earth, and the ones under the earth, 
will bow. It says as well that every tongue will confess. Verse number uh, 11, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When Jesus was on the earth, there were people who said, He's a prophet. Remember he asked one of His disciples, Who do people say that I am? Some people thought He was Isaiah. Some people thought He was whoever, prophets, teachers, good guys. Even to this day, there will be people who tell you, Oh, he's not, He wasn't God. He was just a really good person. Or He was a prophet. Or um, different things like that. But there will come a day when finally every tongue will confess that He is Lord, Savior of the world. You see, the reality is, is if the Savior of the world can come to this earth and treat people right and love people and be obedient, so can I. And there's a purpose for it in verse number 11 that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what it's all about. Is your life bringing glory to God? If I have a mind like Christ, it will. Why? Because the mind of Christ is bringing glory to God. He humbled Himself and was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, because it brought glory to God. What is my life doing? What is my mind doing? Do I have the mind of Christ or do I have the mind of the Pharisees? A religious, pious person who thinks everybody else is wicked and I'm great. Do I have the mind like Christ or do I have a mind like Satan? Do what I want, whenever I want, however I want. What kind of mind do I have? It's important that we have a mind like Christ. Why? Because that's what gives us the eternal satisfaction. The eternal comfort. The eternal reward. The eternal joy. We learn in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we learn in the Old Testament that some could have chose, Moses could have chose sin for a season. He could have lived it up in Egypt, being Pharaoh's son, getting whatever he wanted. But he chose to suffer with God's people. It's a picture, it's an example, it's a reminder of what God did for us. You see, a mind like Christ, humbling ourselves to obedience of God for the purpose of bringing glory to God. When's the last time your life gave glory to God? I hope it was yesterday or this morning. But maybe it's been a month. Maybe it's been six months. Maybe it's been since March of 2020. Maybe it's been when you were young. Maybe it's never been. It's because you don't have a mind like Christ. Even though He was God, He chose to come love me. He made the decision that Vince Stover 
was worthy or worth loving. And I can tell you I'm not. But Christ had the mind to come and be obedient to the death of the cross for me. And I believe with all my heart when Christ was on the cross and He took on the weight of sin on His body and on His mind and on His soul, He felt every ounce of my sin. But He humbled Himself. And He became obedient. And He did it for me. And He did it for you. Now I need to put on the mind of Christ. And I need to love people the same way. No, I can't take away their sins. No, I can't give my life for theirs in that same way. But when God in righteous anger looked at the mob celebrating Christ's crucifixion, Christ said, Father, forgive them. When's the last time I said, God, would you forgive that person? God, would you forgive that politician? God, would you forgive that family member? It takes a humbling effort to get to that point. But Christ did it. And he says in verse number 5, Let this mind be in you. The same mind that Christ had. Friend, this morning, if you've received consolation in Christ, comfort of love, fellowship of the Spirit, benefits of God's compassion, then be like-minded. We have the same love of one accord, of one mind. If not, it's because of pride, it's because of strife, it's because of vainglory. Get that out of your life. And let this mind be in you, the mind that was in Christ. And now live as Christ lived, humble and obedient, loving and forgiving, kind and compassionate. Put aside your piety. Put aside your religious action. Put aside your prideful mindset and humble yourself to obedience for the purpose of bringing glory to God. Lord, will you help us? Because without you we are nothing, but with you all things are possible. And God, this morning I pray, I pray that we would humble ourselves so that you don't have to humble us. God, I pray that we will make the decision to have a mind like you. God, that we'll see all the things that we're receiving from you, the compassion, the the comfort, the fellowship. And Lord, that we will then turn around and, and, and share of that same mindset to other people. And Lord, that as a church, we will will produce a, a, a characteristic here at Bible Pathway Baptist Church of a church that is of one mind, of one accord, striving together for the gospel, for the purpose of bringing glory to you. And God, that together we will work 
to be Christ-like. God, I pray that you would help us to not be full of strife and vainglory and pride, but God, that we will put on the mind of Christ. And Lord, that we will humble ourselves to obedience, that we'll do what you've told us to do. Lord, that we'll follow your example for the purpose of bringing glory to you. God, empty us of us and fill us with you. Lord, that you will increase and we will decrease. But God, we can't do it on our own. We need your help. So Lord, help us today to come to you and ask you for that help. And Lord, strengthen us and equip us so that we can go forward doing what you desire for us to do. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand with me if you will. The piano is going to play. Do you have a mind of Christ this morning? Have you been filled with strife and vainglory? Is your life bringing glory to God? What has God spoken to you about today? Would you take care of it? Have you received the consolation of Christ, the comfort of love, the fellowship of the Spirit, the bowels and mercy, but you haven't been doing the then? This morning, would you give that to God and ask Him to help you? Are you humble to obedience as Christ is? If not, would you ask God to give you the mind of Christ so that you can follow His example? I'm going to be quiet and let you Talk with God about anything that He's spoken to you about today. You're welcome to come to the front if you'd like and kneel. You're welcome to stay at your seat. But this morning, may I just encourage you to talk with God and take care of any issues, anything that He's spoken to you about today.